0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the RegTech Report, your update on all things RegTech. My name is Carl Viertel, and with me is Stefan Celestio. Our mission is to bring you the latest news, speak with industry pioneers, and muse about the latest tech. Hey, everyone, welcome back. Uh, hey, Henry, how are you doing? I'm very well, Carl. It's Friday, so that's, uh, that's good. How are you doing? I'm very well, but unfortunately not quite as well as Stefan, who I hear is on a boat somewhere in Croatia. So uh, I think it'll be you and me today.
1: Yeah, it's all right for some, but you know, it's, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't want to join us.
0: Yeah, weird. Some people have odd priorities in life. Yeah, yeah. Hey ho. Well,
1: uh, maybe we'll have to follow his lead if we ever we ever get away and go on holiday.
0: <laughs> well, until then. I thought maybe today we could talk a little bit about third-party risk management. Yeah, it's um, very topical at the moment. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a really interesting one um, because I think uh, us here at Mitrotech, we see both sides of it. Mm. Because, of course, we're helping a lot of our customers, you know, build up um, third-party risk programs and help them understand their risk exposure across their supply chain. But, of course, being vendors ourselves, um, we get the uh, blunt end, some might say, of a lot of third-party risk programs around the world. Um, So I think uh, we have, you know, quite a few things to share in this space. Um, I mean, Henry, maybe we could start out and just, uh, you know, you could share some, examples of your experience of being a vendor for third-party risk that worked well and others where you'd say maybe that didn't deliver the best insights into your risk exposure as a vendor
1: yeah i, I think it,
0: you're right it's, it is interesting
1: um i think um let's start with the what's worse what doesn't what doesn't work <laughs> um and that's probably easier and probably more uh, more normal in, um, you know, what most people as a vendor will experience um, is receiving a generally a, a very large spreadsheet with a loads of questions on that one has has to answer um, and provide sometimes some, some sort of evidence. Um, I guess the reality of of, of that process is um, there never seems to be any feedback loop from it. Uh, number one mm. and number two, it really um, a lot of these. The questions don't seem appropriate to the service you're providing. so if you think yeah. from a, from a're a bank, you may have software that supports your ATMs or your payment systems, and you have stuff that uh, may be supporting um, your, your time off calendars and your uh, um, uh, and holiday calendars. Now they perform important things for your organization, but clearly the former are far more important, and therefore, if I'm providing software to support that, you probably want to have a lot more scrutiny. Yet, as as a vendor who provides a lesser service, you seem to be asked the same amount of questions. That's not great for us as a vendor, but also from the the bank side or from the organisation side, what do they do with all that data? They're not yeah. processing. They're not seeing the wood from the trees. So yeah. so that doesn't work very well. What does work well is actually having a, a an active account management process with, 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 with the client. So we've got someone who looks after us as uh, as a vendor. And actually, yes, we do we do get those questions and we have to provide certain evidence, but we do have a regular cadence of conversations of uh, you know, monthly checkpoints where we're looking at the SLAs, where, whether we are or aren't meeting those. So it's it, it, far more dialogue and actually getting in behind the data and, and having a, a personal relationship to when it's going well, but also when it's not going so well, if there are issues. That we can be transparent um with 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 that with the uh, the client
0: yeah I'd, I'd say my experiences are quite similar um i think the the poor experiences are when the questions are extremely generic right when you know we're clearly answering questions that are intended for can we deliver something with a forklift to a loading bay you know where that's going to be very difficult in a software as a service and yet we're you know still addressing these questions so You know, you got to ask yourself: Are people really drawing appropriate conclusions of the risk of Mm -hmm. using us as a vendor in their supply chain? The second thing where things become very generic is when uh, you know you use, for example, externally observable data. Um, So one example, you know, one of these security scanning services ran a, a security scan on the, uh, back in the day, the align.com domain. And, of course, how, you know, these work is that they, you know, uh, go through IP ranges and look for common exploits. However, um, our web page, which, again, has technically nothing to do with the product, which is a whole different story, Mm -hmm. um, cycles through IP ranges, you know, every four hours. And so somebody, at some point, when one of these scanners ran, had a... uh, outdated SQL server under this IP address that had some vulnerabilities. And so, uh, you know, this uh, report said, oh, we have, you know, an open Microsoft SQL server somewhere. And, you know, in the history of our company, we've never used SQL. Mm. So, you know, I think these, uh, the more generic you get, of course, the more industrialized the process can be. But, uh, you know, I'd argue is, are you really getting any value out of the insights that you're generating? yeah I, I think that's the important thing It's getting the ins-
1: those insights if you're going to ask the information, make sure it's relevant and you 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 don't just ask the question tick a box and move on It's like why are you asking that question? Is it relevant and and what's the objective? The objective is is from a third party render risk program is you know are effectively if we want to protect ourselves, we need to protect ourselves not not just the infrastructure we've got but the extended infrastructure from our third parties. So you know we're very good at, at firms are far better these days at securing themselves but they forget to to ask those questions i mean your example of test testing the align aligned website is at least they were doing it at least they asked you the question they may have asked you the wrong question, but at least they did um there are many firms that don't um and that I think that's that's one of the the the, the issues i I'm starting to see in the marketplace more and more
0: yeah I think. There's, you know, if we t- it, we already sort of spoke about that, there are different dimensions of, you know, you can ask questions, you can gather data. Um, And, you know, I think those are two really big pillars that you need to distinguish when you're gathering information on risks about a vendor, right? So what can you learn internally by asking questions, asking for evidence, and what can you observe externally by understanding, you know, what is, are there for data points about this specific vendor, be it from a financial perspective, from financial disclosures, uh, disclosures, be it from a security perspective, from security scanning. But I think there's a third very, very big and important um, set of data, which is actually vendor performance. Right. Mm. So we tend to think of these third party risk programs as, you know, they're really important before I start working with a new vendor. And then there's all this activity spike, we sign the contract, we get underway, and then it's sort of all right, well, you know, vendor risk is over. But actually, where you're getting the most valuable information is when you're actually working with this vendor. So, you know, let's say you're Internal data uh, that you gathered initially said, you know, we have the best business continuity programs, you know, in the market, and, you know, we rated us with top marks. Um, external data showed we didn't find any vulnerabilities in our security, but our daily exposure shows there's, you know, a weekly outage of this product um, that we're using, which is significant. Well, those three data points don't match up. And, uh, I, you know, I've, I don't see a lot of third-party risk programs that really bring those three sources of data together. Yeah, I, I think you you, you, you know, you,
1: you introduced an inter-
0: a good point, which people, as you say, forget
1: is uh, things change, you know, and, <laughs> and it's not just, you know, our performance may not, it may be that for three months or for the first six months, actually those data points do align. But the problem is in, you know, for some reason, a senior person leaves at, a, at one of the vendors and they're, they're, they take their eye off the ball, things change. You know, the fi- you, you go back to your, your pillar two, which is external data. You know, the finances of a company may change because of, you know, the, the war in the Ukraine or the pandemic, you know, recent examples. We need yeah. to understand those changes very quickly. So being able to, I think your point being that bringing that external data in to be able to validate, to show those data points don't line up is important because yeah. um, it's a continual process. People are, you know, the world evolves. You know what, what? What was good? What was good? What was good last month may not be the same this month.
0: <laughs> how have you experienced? You know, from both perspectives. You know, driving third-party risk programs and also being the recipient of it. How have you experienced the actual follow-through on uh, vendor risk processes? So, you would. The, the logical conclusion of assessing vendor risk would be that you make a risk-based decision on working with the vendor, not worth working with the vendor, hmm. or stopping your collaboration with the vendor, or mitigating uh, excessive risk. Have you seen that fully integrated in the decision processes? So, um, it's an interesting one. So, uh,
1: Luckily for the firms that I've worked with, um, from a from a vendor perspective, we we have always had the appropriate controls in place, so that's never been um an issue. But I think you're right in your previous comment that there's a spike uh, in that activity when you're when you're brought on board. Um, we have I, I think simple things like we've been asked to increase insurances, insurance covers, mm-hmm. so the co- coverage wasn't wasn't correct. Early doors, um. I guess pre ISO twenty seven thousand and one, we did put those policies and procedures in place for um, coding standards, coding reviews, and things. Mm. So th- these are all sort of pre pre the ISO standard coming in. We 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 had to put those pl- those processes in place because we were dealing with financial services firms, and they expected that. So so yeah. yes, there were things that we. We saw the market moving. We had ex- we were given exceptions and realized that those exceptions wouldn't wouldn't last. And so we matured. We matured with the marketplace. Um, I have heard of people not buying products, but it's very rare based on mm. based on on checks n- not not being passed. I think more recently, obviously, if uh, um, although it's probably not a third party vendor risk, is a more political one. If it w- fewer and fewer people are doing. Things with Russian companies, so um, yeah. but that that's a, that's more binary. Um, I think the one thing that I would add to to to, to the mix, and because I'd be interested to hear your your uh, experiences, is I think firms don't consider enough their what I call the prenup. How do we get away from the vendor? <laughs> because more and more of the time, where if we outsource some of our product, we we or process, we allow we put our data elsewhere it can get, conv- you know, it, it's not necessarily as easy to get it back again. Um, yeah. So how do I, let's use an example, Every, a lot of people have Salesforce. If I put all my data in Salesforce and then I want to move move off Salesforce, how easy is that? And are we now completely bound to Salesforce forever and ever? So I think,
0: as you say, the, your point about onboarding, yes, but I would also consider the offboarding as well. Yeah. I have one data point that kind of is a good news story and kind of a bad news story. So <laughs> the good news story of it is this was about a year and a half ago, and we had a recurring uh, vendor assessment. So, you know, good, because it wasn't just a, you know, spike at the beginning. We'd been working with this uh, customer for a while, and they asked us some new questions. Um And one of the questions we had answered was around a visitor registration process. So, you know, valid, but... It was during peak COVID. And so there were like three people in the office on a regular basis. And so like, oh, no, you must implement a vendor registration process, which was, you know, so Hmm. we implemented it. But it was obviously never used because it was COVID and no one was in the office. And if like a fourth person who we didn't know had entered the office, it would have been reasonably obvious. Hmm. So. You know, I'd say a good example, because it was um, on a recurring or irregular basis, it was a, you know, there was some follow up, there was some, you know, hey, please implement this and send us some evidence that it happened. Mm. But the usefulness, I put in question, like it did not change our risk exposure to this customer as a vendor, one single bit. But yeah, there you go a <laughs> little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. <laughs> As, as always, when these discussions, <laughs> I was gonna shift the conversation a little bit to the future of third party risk. So you know, where things are going, what we're thinking about on a technology perspective, but also from a regulatory and process perspective, you know, what I see um, as sort of on the horizon. And One of the elements that is really exciting for me at the moment is pushing the technology envelope a little bit further to automate a lot of the third-party processes. And we've just come up with um, this capability that I think is incredibly cool um, of automatically analyzing evidence, right? So there's an element of, you know, in a third-party risk process of asking a question to gather internal data and then asking for evidence of it. And we've built some capability that automatically scans this piece of evidence that's uploaded to see well is it actually evidence for the question I asked, mm. so you know making it much much more scalable but also much much more uh reliable with um harder data underneath these data points because it's not just someone saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah we have a visitor process
1: yeah and, and, to, and you, you, you do you do miss a, another key element of of what what we've what we've uh, put in the product is the summary feature as well, yeah. Uh, so so some so you know i i upload a 30 page document of evidence that the technology will not only uh assess the uh, validity of that evidence to the controls but also produce me a nice little three paragraph summary automatically oh, so well, i don't have to go yeah. through and i think i think both features are are, are i mean a fantastic anybody that we show are blown away by it
0: um yeah and, and and the ability to see the wood from the trees is 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 incredible um and i think you know in a broader uh, perspective on third party risk and sort of the future thereof i think this gives a great example of where i see it going like i don't see third party risk being this black box that just you know automatically monitors uh, vendors in the background and just gives you an alert when something goes wrong, but it's more assisting smart people that know what they're talking about and being more effective in their job. Hmm. Um, you know, if you think of uh, your example that you mentioned before, you know, someone that can actually go in and make sense of the uh, the data they're seeing, this account manager hmm. approach, right? That account manager needs to get more data quicker without spending a whole lot of time on the phone with you, but more just saying, "Hey, I picked on the, up on this one issue that might be a risk for us. Let's talk about that."
1: Correct. Yeah, and it, it's that collaborative. You know, the the reality is uh, the way I again the way I look at third parties is, you know, we are now it, you know get, roll back twenty thirty years, we didn't have very many third parties. We did it all ourselves, so we yeah. contr- we we controlled we they were that was our ecosystem. Our ecosystem now is. Diversified out to many partners, and I say that account management piece is just like like you would have spoken to a colleague. These are your, uh, it's a relationship you should have with your key third party vendors, um, and that, you know. Yeah. And if think of it that way, that as
0: you would talk to your own internal staff, that's the way you should be talking to your, to those key vendors. That's actually a really interesting point, right? That it's not actually a separate company that you just have a transactional relationship with; it should be like. Yeah, with your, with a different department. Yeah,
1: and 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 it's it's you know again, we, we, I hate bringing back back to the pandemic, but you know the pandemic has changed everything. We now you know, many firms are adopting work from anywhere. The you know, attack surface is much bigger in inverted yeah. com. You know, and uh, and and it's not you know the third parties as well as our employees that are using some of those third party services are not behind our firewall anymore. They're now at home. So again, we've got to think more cleverly about how those
0: services are being consumed by our employees. Hmm. If I'd have to offer another prediction for the future, I'd say maybe what I call multi-dimensional third-party risk needs to become more of a thing. Which, And what I mean by that is you're not just looking at an external scan of the website, you're not just looking at a self assessment response. Um, but you're actually comparing those three sets of data. So external data, internal gathered information and vendor performance, and also automatically comparing and understanding and identifying contradictions. Right, So the scenario that we constructed earlier where we're saying, you know, well, uh, they say they have, you know, top-notch BCM, but there's an outage every week, right? That needs to be consolidated in vendor management, and uh, you need to question the data points that you had before if your experience with the vendor is actually, you know, giving you different data.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And the other elements sort of my third big prediction for the future of uh, third-party risk is, that it also needs to become multidimensional from topics, right? So if you think about what's happening in ESG, right, you need to understand um, your ESG risk along your supply chain. Data privacy uh, says you also need to understand your data processing risk for the PII of your customers if you pass it on to third parties, and then there are other um, uh, laws like the uh, wonderful, wonderfully named German Lieferkettengesetz um, or I'm glad you, I'm glad, I'm glad you said
1: that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, of course, also provide you insight and relevant data for uh, your third party risk program. All right, so um, bringing those. Um, Multiple intentions and not just financial stability and cyber risk um, as sort of the driving factors behind uh, your vendor risk program, I think is going to sort of be the third big driver for future third party risk
1: yeah i mean and as you as you know the SEC have uh, have started started that ball rolling in the u s as well, so firms will have to start um, reporting not just on the scope one scope two, which is their own emissions but the scope three which is part of, which is their third parties so uh, absolutely that that direction of travel is 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 i think is well posted um uh and yeah, it, it's only I, I guess i come back to what we said before you know don't consider your third parties as external to you they're part of your ecosystem you're dealing with them and therefore wh- whatever it may be as you say your employment your your emissions
0: all of that needs to be uh to be monitored um So with that, Henry, do you want to do a special summer edition of the top three? (sighs) Summer edition? Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it.
1: Hey. Hey. Oh. Top three, two, two, three, two, three, (laughs) two, (laughs) three.
0: It's the top three. Do you want to go first? Sure. So I thought, Henry we would do a top three summer activities for this summer. So what's your number three top summer activity? Oh, number three. So number three, I sit sitting,
1: sitting in the UK. Um, there's a lot, lots of things that go on. So you've got things like Ascot, Wimbledon, uh, the cricket. Um, if I name those three, I'll, I'll, I'll have, I didn't get a royal Ascot, but I have been to the races. Um, Lucky enough to get to the to um, the tennis this week and saw a German lady saw a German lady ranked first time at Wimbledon knock out the number five seed, um, which was, which was right. fantastic. Um, and we'll, we'll we'll get to Lords to watch a bit of cricket. So some summer activities in the UK are, 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 are fun.
0: That' excellent. Um, I guess my number three activity is actually reading a book. And this has two sort of quirky elements to it. So one is, so I have three small kids and a full on job. And so I don't even remember the last time I read a full book. So, but I do actually want to pick up a physical book and read it at some point, because I mean, it is quite pleasing. Um, But and this is sort of the drawback. It is very nerdy because it's um, ESG impact on financing. A book that actually a chief risk officer gave to me that I really want to understand more because he said I need to go home and read it and then call him again and talk about it. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure that's a summertime activity, but it's something you will be doing this summer.
0: Yeah, but no, I, I I will actually enjoy it because it's you know actually focusing on more than 170 characters at a time, which you know will be a novel experience. Yeah. Well, I I guess my number
1: two, then, is pretty similar. You know, summer is a time when we go away on holidays. And one of the things, it's nice to get away, uh, recharge the batteries. And actually, as you say, picking up a physical book. uh, I'm not sure I'll be doing ESG on financial services. um, uh, But it is nice just picking up a novel, going through an airport, picking up three, you know, three books and just reading them. It's just quite nice to switch off. So yeah, my number two holidays. What's your number two?
0: Yeah, um, a little, well, kind of the same, but also different because simply watching the sun go down. So I have a nice terrace where you can, you know, watch the sun go down behind the mountains, and there may or may not uh, not be some uh, uh, grape derived beverages involved. So um.
1: (laughs) you're going to steal my number one. (laughs) Ah, there we go. Yeah, so yes, my number one is. uh, um, I was famously said. the uk it's a lovely place for staycations but um uh i i famously said apparently to someone it's not a, it's not a summer summer holiday if you can't be sitting out at 9 or 10 o'clock at night drinking a beer in a shorts and t-shirt i was in cornwall one day well i, I think the uh Two, I can't remember. What it was two thousand and twelve Olympics? I think I sat. I, I think I cooked roast dinner for ten people to twelve people because it was freezing cold. My son got hypothermia swimming in the so, swimming in the sea. So uh, nice, warm, uh, warm climate. Drinking beer after the sun goes down or a glass of wine. That's that that that, that that's that's summer for me.
0: Fair enough. Uh, my my number one thing that I need to do this summer is. I, for the first time in a long time, I've actually gotten quite a few um, meters in elevation on my bike. So I've been able to, you know, fairly regularly do, you know, four or five hundred meters of elevation uh, a day, um, which, you know, it it builds your uh, uh, your you know physical condition quite well. And the background is, so I try once a year to do a multi-day mountain biking trip with one of my best friends who now lives in Australia and my sister. And um, usually it's absolutely disastrous because, you know, I'm coming from uh, back-to-back traveling or some crazy phase at work where I've had no time to prepare for it. And this year, I might stand a tiny chance. So um, fingers crossed. So I have a top tip for that one.
1: Uh, I found a hotel when, when I was in New York last that had a Peloton bike, and I've never been on one before. That is very, very good training. So, you, if
0: you are traveling lots, just find the hotel that's got the Peloton bike. Uh, you heard it here first—the top tip from Henry. <laughs> 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 well, and with that, I think I might hop on my bike. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully, St- Stefan's uh,
1: still still floating in in the sea somewhere. So, um, Captain. Um,
0: but yeah enjoy enjoy your ride and uh, enjoy your weekend thanks everyone Um, we'll catch you soon on the next episode and uh, have a great summer thanks for listening let's continue the conversation on twitter follow our dedicated podcast handle at the regtech rep make sure to rate this podcast and send your thoughts and comments to the regtech report at align.com once again, that's the RegTech Report at Alyne.com. You can also follow Align on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter or catch up on our podcasts on align.com slash report.